Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If, if you got your Bible, flip to Acts chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, just you got a smart device. They call it smart for a reason. Just Google Acts 1 it'll pull up like 20 different translations of Acts 1, all right? We're continuing our series this weekend on evangelism. And if you weren't here last weekend, you didn't hear the message, go back and listen to the message because we talked about God's heart for the Jewish people. And for many, that is something they haven't heard a lot of teaching on, but it's really important to understanding how the gospel goes to the ends of the earth the fastest uh, and it involves the gospel going to the Jewish people. So uh, make sure if you didn't hear that message, go back last week. And I know a lot of you weren't expecting that to be mes- message number one in a series on evangelism. In the same way, I am pretty sure that you're not expecting this to be message number two. All right? What we're talking about today is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the title of the message is a long one, but if you're taking notes, write it down. The not-so-secret weapon in evangelism and in life. The not-so-secret weapon in evangelism and in life. Now, let me say some things at the beginning of this message. I, uh, I in no way want to uh, make fun of anyone or make light of any certain expression. I'm going to talk about some things that I saw growing up. Maybe you grew up in a similar situation. type of church. I grew up in in a charismatic church, then I got to high school and was at a really charismatic church and saw some things some of you may not have ever seen before. Uh, But part of the burden I feel for this message is this. It seems to me like the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit has been monopolized by one member of God's family. It's almost as though many in the family of God, look at the uber-religious and say, they're the ones that have the power of the Holy Spirit. It's most available to them. Well, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that's not true. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance for all of us as sons and daughters of God. So it's not just available for one member of God's family. And here's why that's important to remember Because if you don't understand the importance of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life, it will be literally impossible to accomplish God's calling for your life. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of us have turned off the switch or the flow of the power of the Holy Spirit because we've seen some weird things done in the name of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me help you remember something. Just, just, this is free, all right? I'm not charging you a dime for this, okay? Runners run, swimmers swim, weird people do weird things. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Jesus is not weird. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That, that's, go all the way back to the Gospels and, and every one of the Gospels. John, John 1, look for the one on whom the Holy Spirit descends and remains. He will be the one to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Okay, none of us look at Jesus and go, he was a weirdo. 
we look at him and go, he was a hero. He's not weird, okay? When something weird is done in the name of the Holy Spirit, many times, it's not because the Holy Spirit is weird. It's because humanity is weird, all right? Now, I'm not making fun of anybody because, listen, I grew up, and when I, in high school, I was a note-taking teenager in the house of the Lord. And there were people who were doing what's called falling out in the Spirit or being slain in the Spirit. And let me just say, some of you are thinking, that, that's not biblical. Well, don't read Second Chronicles 5 <laughs> because the, the cloud was so heavy, the ministers, the priests, couldn't even minister. Okay? When Jesus was arrested, everybody fell out. All right? So I'm not saying that God can't do that. He's God. He can move in whatever way he so chooses. But I want to help you understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't just belong to people who do that kind of thing. And, and this message is to remind all of us that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to try and, and recalibrate some of us to understand the point of the power. All right? So here's point number one as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. His power has a purpose. His power has a purpose. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. Remember, he's just resurrected. This is in between the time where Jesus is resurrected from the dead and ascends to be with the Father. Okay, so in between. They're saying, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, you nosy little birds. But you, he personalizes this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were still watching, and they could no longer see him. Now, if I would have asked every one of you, what happens in Acts chapter 1? Well, many would say, well, Jesus ascends to be with the Father. Okay, correct. And if I were to ask you, and what is the last thing Jesus says before his ascension? Most Christians would say, the last thing Jesus says before he leaves the earth, is make sure to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is the last thing he says. But what does he say that leads into the mandate to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? He says, now listen, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. It doesn't just say, take the gospel, to the, end, the gospel to the ends of the earth. It says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. You'll have the power to take the gospel to the ends of the earth when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, let me say this, because I watched this growing up. And listen, I am not making light of anything, but I'll just personalize it, okay? For, for those who maybe were raised in an uber-charismatic environment, where you were taught a, a doctrine, which really is not a doctrine, it's dogma, that falling out was the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it can be, but listen, let me just personalize this. 
if I am falling out in the power of the Holy Spirit more than I am going out in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not so sure it's the Holy Spirit who's always laying me out. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. Hear my heart. Hear my heart. My prayer this week has been, Lord, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not trying to come at a religious person. But truth be told, I am trying to come at a religious spirit. And the difference between a religious spirit and a religious person is this. A religious spirit makes those who don't experience the same thing in the same way feel guilty or less than because they don't. That's not how God rolls. That's a religious spirit. Okay? There is a point to his power. And it's not a selfish purpose. It's a kingdom-building purpose. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to go. It's so funny. Nowadays, because of some of the weird things that so many people have seen in, in the charismatic side of the body of Christ, it's almost like people are afraid to say they're spirit-filled. Yet it was the intention from the beginning. Jesus said, now listen, don't you dare leave until the Holy Spirit fills you. Don't try and accomplish what I have asked you to accomplish until you've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's serious talk. Jesus also said, listen, it's good for you that I go because then the Holy Spirit will come. Why are so many afraid of the Holy Spirit? I think it's because there's a misunderstanding about the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. His power has a purpose, and the purpose is to go. Yes, it enables us to grow, but it's to go. Here's point number two. His power comes in handy. The Holy Spirit's power comes in handy. I don't know about you, but I am not good at fixing stuff, all right? I, I know you just look at me and you think, I bet he is amazing at everything he does. No, I'm not. Imagine that. I have broken more things than I have fixed in my life. I have friends who are amazing at fixing things. My wife, she, she's great at fixing stuff. This is how it happens in my house. If there's a busted sprinkler in my backyard, I have two options. One, pick up the phone and pay somebody. Or two, if I don't get at it quickly, my wife will be back there with a shovel, digging a hole and fixing it herself. The girl is a savage. I mean, she'll just get out there and start fixing it. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm online trying to research how to fix it. And she just dig a hole and start fixing the thing. Okay. When I get asked to fix something, which is rare in my house because I'll probably break it. But when I get asked to fix something, I have a habit. I'll start wandering around the house looking for the right tool to fix what is broken. And if you've fixed a lot of stuff, Chances are you probably have a drawer or a location in your house where the most important tools reside so that when you have to fix something, you know where to go, what to grab, and how to fix it. Okay, why do you do that? Because you learn that the more valuable a tool is, 
the closer you keep it to your reach at all times. Okay, it's interesting to me that probably the best tool God gives us in our walk with him, being the Holy Spirit, God says, listen, you are the temple and I deposit into my children the Holy Spirit. The handiest tool there is. Now, let's talk about evangelism and how the Holy Spirit's power comes in handy as it relates to evangelism. Let's talk about it from this perspective. When I ask people, hey, uh, how often do you share your faith with others? And they say, well, not as much as I should. And then I'll ask, well, why? What, what holds you back? I hear kind of a list of the same things every time. And let me give you the list, and then we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us related to this list. Here's the first thing I hear. I don't know what to say. The reason I don't share my faith with more people is because I just, I don't know what to say. Right? How many of you always know what to say in every situation? Okay, let me ask it another way. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to say? Put your hand up. Okay, look around. Anybody with their hand not up is saying the wrong thing right now. Okay? We never know what to say at all times. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a way to know what to say when we don't know what to say? Yeah. Let me show you. The Holy Spirit comes in handy when we aren't sure what to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus said, and when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or with what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Wouldn't it be awesome if we leveraged this more often? Think about this. What do you do when you don't know what to say? There aren't many options. The, the two biggest options, you're either going to be totally quiet or you're just going to start talking and talking until you find the right thing to say, right? You just go and go and go. And what happens when you try that? There's a saying for that. You put your foot where? In your mouth. And have you ever noticed when you put your foot in your mouth, what happens to the volume of your voice? You get a little bit louder. Why? Because you're trying to hide the sound of choking on leather in the back of your throat. So we just, we, we amp up the volume. But what would life be like if instead of trying to talk our way out of not knowing what to say, we hit the pause button and said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to say right now in response to my teenager. I don't know what to say right now in response to this family member who asked this really hard question. I don't know what to say. You know what I think would happen if we did that more often? The Holy Spirit would tell us what to say. But you know what I've learned about this little exercise? I have to shut my mouth to make room for the Holy Spirit to open his. If you don't share your faith because you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit comes in handy. If you will yield, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Here's the second thing I hear people say. I can't remember what I'm supposed to say. When I, when I try and think about witnessing to people, 
I, like I know some of Romans Row, but then I forget the back half of it, and what's the point of starting it if I can't get them across the finish line? And so I just forget what to say. Okay? Here's really good news. The power of the Holy Spirit comes in handy when we forget, when we can't remember. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Wouldn't it be awesome when you're trying to lead a friend to Christ and you just, you go blank and you forget what to say. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Holy Spirit fed you what you'd already been taught but forgotten at just the right moment so that you could give it to someone else? I don't think I've ever told this story to you, but I'll, I'll just make fun of myself for a little bit. The first time I tried to witness to somebody, I was in the ninth grade, and uh, at our church, the church where my dad worked, um, they had taught us how to evangelize, and they sent us to the park in groups of two. So my best, best friend and I went out, and we're, we just are looking for targets, all right? We're just looking for a good target, and we see this couple I was kind of a, an ornery ninth grader, and so I'm not looking for like a 10-year-old. I'm going to the deep end of the pool, all right? And so we see this couple, and I said, hey, let's go talk to them. So we go up to the couple, and I said, hey, uh, can we talk to you just for a moment? Can we have a moment of your time? And the man said, sure. What do you want to talk about? And I said, well, we'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And so we, we start sharing our spiel, okay, which admittedly was more in my head than in my heart at the time. And I'm sharing it. And he says, I've got a question for you. And being the idiotic, arrogant ninth grader that I was, I was like, fire away, man. <laughs> please, please don't ever adopt that posture. God will make a fool out of you every time. I said, sure, ask away. And he said, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And I don't remember exactly what I said, um, but I, I remember trying to make it easy, um, but I went way across the line. And I said, well, you know, God, and I, I don't remember everything I said, uh, admittedly. I just remember the man's response. But I, I know I was basically kind of, without saying it, making it sound like there was more than one way. And the man stops me in the middle of this, and he goes, son, I'm going to stop you here. I pastor a church right down the street. <laughs> and he said, I'd like to submit this piece of advice to you, son. You go learn about Jesus before you talk about Jesus. He is the only way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry, sir. <laughs> I forgot what to say. Admittedly, I didn't know what to say. I'd been taught it in the class. But I forgot. I was a ninth grader. But instead of asking for help, basically, I kind of just started making stuff up. Clearly wrong. How did I end up with this job? <laughs> how does that kid end up with this job? I'll tell you how. He was so embarrassed that he didn't know what to say that he did two things. He studied really hard on what to say and he made sure the next time he was in that situation, he phoned a friend who had all wisdom and knowledge. It was a valuable learning experience, but I forgot. 
the Holy Spirit helps us to remember information that would have been useful in the ninth grade. I remember in the beginning of ministry when the Lord really drove this home. I was counseling with a young mom and she had had a, a little girl early and so she had, uh, I think the, the daughter was 13 or 14 at the time and the mom was in her mid to late 20s. And this is the first time it had ever happened to me, but I was counseling and I mean, the Holy Spirit just started speaking very, very clearly. And after it was over, she left and I went back into my office and I just said to the Lord, what in the world just happened? That has never happened before. And I'll never forget what I felt like the Lord said. Preston, years ago, one morning, you were up early with your Bible before the bus came, before school started, and you were in my word. And I gave you something that day. I made a deposit into you, and it wasn't just for you. It was for that mother that just walked out of your office. You see, Preston, I dug a hole and filled it with some living water that day, but it wasn't just to draw upon then. It was also for now. See, the Holy Spirit helps take us back to those wells of living water that got filled years ago with incredible truth and beautiful revelation from the Lord and says, remember that? That's for him. That's for her. Use it now. Speak it now. The Holy Spirit comes in handy when we don't remember what God's already said. And Jesus made it clear. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Here's the third thing I hear when people say, I, I, I just, I don't share my faith as much as I should, and this is kind of the big one, and they say, seeing people saved is hard. Basically what they're saying is, man, people's hearts are hard. Just it's hard to plow ground in hard hearts. And if you've ever thought that or said that, I've got great news for you. The Holy Spirit's power comes in handy when hearts need to open. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One of the women was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Now, Lydia was worshiping with the people but had not gotten a revelation of the Messiah. As Paul was speaking, she begins to receive what he's saying. Why? Because the Bible says, Holy Spirit, open her heart. I don't know if you've ever tried to witness to somebody with a hard heart. It's tough. It's intimidating sometimes. And you know what makes it real uh, fun is when you don't do it by yourself. It's not your job to plow hard-hearted ground all by yourself. We have a not-so-secret weapon, the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is soften hard hearts and open closed-off hearts. And we're seeing this more and more in this day and time. Hearts are getting harder, more closed-off. I can't open up the door of their heart. I desperately need the Holy Spirit to pave the way, to open up their heart. Listen, later in this series, I'm going to challenge you to go after somebody who's lost that seems impossible. 
I mean to set a goal, a lofty goal, that the one person in your life that everybody thinks has no chance to ever follow God, to ever meet Jesus face to face, I'm going to challenge you to set a goal. And no matter how long it takes to pray for that person, sow seed in the life of that person, but you know what you're going to need more than the prayer and more than the sowing of seed? You're going to need the Holy Spirit to move in their life and open their heart. See, evangelism was always meant to be a tag team sport. Not just between you and the person you go into the park to witness people with. Evangelism was meant to be a tag team sport between you and the Holy Spirit. That leads to point number three. His power must be our necessity. The Holy Spirit's power must be our necessity. Okay, let's have a moment of... of transparent vulnerability how many of us when we read through scripture read these stories of heroic figures and and think i could never do that let's just be be truthful my hand is up okay my hand is up you read the story of moses parting the water you you read the story of samson you read all these incredible stories and you go i could never do that and we have a tendency i believe to read through the the stories of these heroes and go man they were special and i'm not i want i i just i picked three that i want you to see i could have picked a lot more than three but i just want you to see looking at the lives of some really incredible people that did really incredible things that god used in incredible ways and i want you to see the common theme with all of them let's take a look at samson right Samson did some incredible feats of strength. And I think, if we're not careful, we just think about Samson and go, yeah, that guy was just yoked. He was jacked. I mean, you know he was just, like, pressed and huge. I mean, just a monster in the gym. Sorry, Brad is the monster between the two of us. You can see that. But we we just look at Samson and we go, yeah, that guy was just crazy strong. Okay? Well, let me just show you one passage to help you see Maybe it wasn't physical strength that enabled Samson to do the feats of strength that he accomplished on the earth. Judges chapter 14, verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now you tell me if if it gets weird, okay? For those of you who think the Holy Spirit is weird, you tell me if it gets weird. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. Okay, was it Samson's physical strength that enabled him to rip this lion to shreds? No, it couldn't be. Preston, how do you know? Because if it could have been, then scripture would not say at that moment the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. It was the power of the spirit that enabled him to do this incredible feat of strength. It's not just that Samson spent more time in the gym than the rest of us. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. How about King David? David's another man that we look at and we go, he was amazing. Mighty warrior, 
just taking people out. I mean, just incredible king. I could never be like him. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of David's story when he's chosen as the next king of Israel. And let's see if it was David's incredible strength that set him up to be Israel's best king or if it was something else. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Think about this, what that's saying. Everything amazing, everything powerful that happened from that day forward was a result of the power of the Spirit of God coming upon him that day. It wasn't just that David was more amazing than you. It was simply David was empowered. And here's the crazy thing. You have the exact same access to that exact same power. Think about this. The Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That's crazy. It wasn't just that David was a better human than you. David was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Make sure credit is given where it's due. It wasn't because David was amazing. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the third person I think we need to take a look at might surprise you. But Jesus. Jesus. Well, Preston, he's the Son of God. Yes, fully God, but also on this earth, fully man during those 33 years. Fully God, fully man. And what does the Bible say after Jesus is leaving the 40 days of temptation? What does the Bible say? Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Question, was Jesus weird? No. He's the model. Listen, Jesus would not step into that three-year run of historic ministry on the earth without being full of the Holy Spirit's power. This is a very important verse, and it challenges me constantly because I'll catch myself doing things in my own strength, and I'll just sense the Lord go, if Jesus refused to do things without the power of the Holy Spirit, Preston, what's your excuse? Why are you trying to do this in your own strength? Jesus, as a man on this earth, needed to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So do I, so do you. We need it. But many of us think, well, it's, it's only for those who are really doing well in their walk with the Lord. That's not what Ephesians 1 says. It says it's a down payment for all of us as sons and daughters of God. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. As children of God, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of each one of us, dwells within us. We all have access. And it isn't based upon whether I'm more religious than somebody else. We need this power. But the question is, how badly do we think we need it? I was running this week, and in my neighborhood, we have a little 1.6-mile circle. 
and the first probably 0.6 miles is uphill. And I decided this week I was just going to sprint as fast as I could up the 0.6 side. And sprinting for me is like a nine-minute pace, just so you know. I'm running as hard as I can. And if if you've tried to run and you don't run a lot, like I, I tell people I hate running. The only time I run is when there's money at the finish line. I'm running up this hill. If you don't run much and you try and run hard every once in a while, you know what I'm about to say is true. Something physiological starts happening right in this area. And it feels as though one of your lungs is about to exit your body, right? You start tasting blood, right? And just going, oh my Lord, I think I'm dying. Legit, I'm about to die. I am bleeding from the inside out. What is going on with me? Really? The problem is your lungs aren't getting enough oxygen. So I get to the top of the 0.6, and isn't it funny? I don't know if God does this with you, but it seems like he loves to show up in my lowest moments, you know? Like kick a man while he's down kind of a thing. I get to the top of the 0.6, and I felt the Lord go, Preston, what would life look like for you if the only oxygen you had access to was in a tank in your office at the house. And I said, (laughs) I would probably never leave my office. I couldn't survive without that air. And if I had to get outside of my office, I would go just as far as I could go with enough air to make it back to breathe out of the tank. So I kept running, and I get back to the house, and I felt the Lord say when I went into my office to have my time with him, I felt like he said, grab your Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Now, before I read you Acts 2, if I were to ask many of you, what happens in Acts 2? Probably the most common answer would be the day the Holy Spirit fell and many began to speak in tongues and there were tongues of fire. Okay, that's true, but I want to show you what happens before that. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. What does that sound like? You like that sound effect, didn't you? Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like a mighty windstorm, and the sound filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire. I love that word, then. After what just happened, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This is the birth of the church. The church was birthed with this. So I'm reading Acts 2. I get done with this passage and the Lord goes, now go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. So go back to Genesis 2, starting in verse 1. I get to verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man, because of this breath, became a living person. This was the birth of man. Isn't it interesting that the birth of the church and the birth of man both start with the breath. 
And here's the really important question. As a believer in Jesus, how convinced are you that you cannot survive without that breath? Without that oxygen in your lung? This is how reliant we are on the power of God's Holy Spirit. I can't do this thing called life, let alone the calling assigned to me without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't do your life and your calling without it either. On that day in my office this week, I felt the Lord challenge me. Preston, you're trying to run this race without oxygen. Son, I'm catching you do some of this in your own strength. What's concerning is you don't even realize that spiritually speaking, you look like you look physically at the top of that hill. Exhausted, out of air. Son, you can't do this without the power of my Holy Spirit. I need you to get desperate once again. And I think he's saying the same thing to you. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.